we're calling this home from here on out. Just want you to know that from here on out. That's it. All right, Exodus chapter 15. A preacher said, We ridicule the pagans who try to fashion gods out of wood and stone, and perhaps rightfully so. But often we make pictures of God in our minds that make God ridiculously small. A God that is too small is not someone worth putting your faith in. A young man once went to a pastor saying he didn't believe in God. So the minister said, well, describe to me the God you don't believe in. And it was interesting, but he had a description. And uh, he described this God uh, that he didn't believe in. And he uh, went on and on. The preacher listened carefully until the description was complete. And then he said, I don't believe in that God either. Now let's talk together about a God we can believe in. And then he said, uh, that's what I want to do today. And he asked the question, how big is your God? It's a good question. In the passage before us, we find God being very big in the first 21 verses and very small in the next five. Because they're, the children of Israel are like they normally are. They're a roller coaster existence uh, as they go through the wilderness journeys now as they've gotten to the other side. The people sing at the beginning of this chapter about how big God is and they complain about how small he is in the last part. Now, we often condemn Israel for that, being that up and down Christian, the yo-yo Christian or the uh, roller coaster, however you want to describe it because we know that that's not how it's supposed to be, and yet sometimes we can be like them. Um, at times we can view God as a God big enough for the struggles of life, and then at times God is so small, he can't handle the little things that we all get a bent, bent out of shape about and worry about and, and are anxious over and, and, uh, and are controlling our life, even though, quite honestly, they're very small. So how big is your God? We read about God big enough to destroy an army in one deed. And then we find that that God can't provide water. Amazing thing, isn't it? Isn't it? And, the, and the more we look at Israel, the more we want to criticize. But then the more I look at the chapter and I look at my own life, I find that uh, many times I see God as big and I see God as small. And it all depends on the circumstance that I'm in in life. So uh, I would say that our goal tonight is in the ups and downs of life to always see God as big, as bigger than whatever we face. And I hope that you will. Follow along as I read, starting at the beginning of chapter 15, where we read these words, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him an habitation. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host hath he cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank into the bottom as a stone. 
Thy right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. And then the greatness of thine excellency, thou hast overthrown them that rose up against thee. Thou sentest forth thy wrath, which consumed them as stubble. And with the blast of thy nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The flood stood upright as in heap, and the depths were congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My lust shall be satisfied upon them. I will draw the sword, my hand shall destroy them. Thou didst blow with thy wind, the sea covered them. They sank as lead in the mighty waters. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Thou stretchest out thy right hand, the earth swallowed them. Thou in thy mercy hast led forth the people which thou hast redeemed. Thou hast guided them in thy strength unto thy holy habitation. The people shall hear and be afraid. Sorrow shall take hold on the inhabitants of Palestina. Then the dukes of Edom shall be amazed. The mighty men of Moab trembling shall take hold upon them. All the inhabitants of Canaan shall melt away. Fear and dread shall fall upon them. By the greatness of thine arm, they shall be as still as a stone till thy people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over which thou hast purchased. Thou shalt bring them in and plant them in the mountain of thine inheritance in the place, O Lord, which thou hast made for thee to dwell in, in the sanctuary, O Lord, which thy hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever, for the horse of Pharaoh went in with his chariots and with his horsemen into the sea, and the Lord brought again the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. And Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances, and Miriam answered them, Sing ye to the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. And so we have a wonderful victory. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this song that uh, reminds us of the mighty power of God, the great big God that we serve. And uh, thank you. Thank you that we serve a great big wonderful God. Help us to remember that. And may that be the driving force that controls our life and allows us to live in peace and victory and hope in the midst of even the greatest difficulty. So touch our hearts with that truth this evening. And as we look at this, the rest of this chapter, may we find uh, encouragement, hope, and may we find guidance and challenge. And we'll thank you for what you'll do in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as I came to Exodus 15, my first thought in regard to the chapter was, wow, I want to teach on the subject of music. Because it's a song, and it is. Uh, and we're going to say a few things about the matter of music. It's, uh, it's, since it is a song, we could certainly glean enough principles, quite honestly, to teach about music. There are some great lessons to be learned and some things we find in the rest of Scripture that I believe are supported and taught by the example we have of a song that was written by Moses and the people as they came through the, the water and God gave them a great victory. Now, um, it's a testimony, though, of Mo Moses and the people about the greatness of God. And it just happens that it's in song form. 
So this passage, quite honestly, wouldn't appropriately be preached only from the standpoint of this teaches us about music. Although there are lessons to be learned, and as I said, we'll make reference to at least one thing uh, this evening. This is a song that was written not about music. It was written about God. And it says, you serve a great God. And if you miss that, and if you focus just on the music aspect and the lessons to be learned, then you miss the purpose of this song and the reason why it is found in Scripture. And so I'm thankful that there are principles I can learn about music. But that isn't why we want, and that's not what we want to look at today. We want to see the purpose for which it was written. And that is, it wanted to teach us about a great God. So it's not a music lesson, it's a great God lesson. And may we be encouraged by that and challenged by that. The people have just experienced the awe-inspiring power of God. And you can't get any more awe-inspiring than a sea parting. Dry ground the people walk on. And then a whole army being destroyed in that very same sea that provided deliverance for you. We're going to divide the chapter into three parts. Ha, wow, how about that? Isn't that an amazing thing? I know that you find that truly, truly amazing that we could divide it into three parts. But this really is a, a, a three-part uh, chapter. We have a song, we have a sin, and we have a statue. And we're going to see those things in the chapter uh, before us but I'm not going to get to the other two. So that's why I only read the song. The next is the sin, and then we find the statute that he gives them, and we will delve into those things next week, but we'll see how far we get in the song because the majority of this chapter is a song, and you can't miss that, and, and it wouldn't be fair to say, well, that's like three equal divisions because it's not, all right? There's just like five verses dealing with the other, the statute and the song, but there are 20 one verses that deal with this song. So uh, let's dig into it and let's start by, in our, yeah, you got your outline. Let's start. <laughs> I have the outline. I don't know what your problem is. All right. <laughs> I'm sorry I didn't get those out. As we look at the ups and downs of life, we're going to start up. And, uh, and see, you always do that, by the way, on a roller coaster. You know, you always start at the top, right? Or you got that... You're going up all the way. Well, this chapter, it's, they're already at the top, okay? And they're just about to drop. Yeah, the, the bottom's going to fall out in verse 22 and further. But they are certainly at the top right here uh, as we see, first of all, a song. As I already told you, verses 1 to 21, a song. So let's begin where the author begins and, and, and where the song begins, the direction of the song. The direction of the song. Now, I said we were going to say something about music, so here's, here's where it's at. This is the primary. The rest will be focused more on the great God, okay? But let's think about this. If you were to ask the average Christian, what, music, what is music supposed to be about? If you were to answer that question, what is music supposed to be about, what would your answer be? Some might say, well, music is supposed to touch the heart. Some in our day might say, well, music is supposed to give you a good feeling about God. Now, much of what takes place in the realm of music today is really about that. It's about giving people a good feeling. Uh, maybe about God, but just a good feeling, quite honestly. That's a lot of the focus. A lot of it is about touching the heart. 
Much of, again, what it takes place in music is about the performer, the performance, or the people who are listening. The performer, in many cases, uh, is constantly trying to do something different or better because he wants to, uh, yeah, all right, uh, not everyone is this way, but he wants to wow the people. He wants people to come up afterwards and say, oh, that was such a blessing. That was wonderful. Um, because either it brings joy to his heart to hear that, because he does truly, I mean, in a heart, he probably certainly wants to honor God, and that's all he's ever been taught about music. It's just about, i got to do something different and, and bigger and better. A singer might be trying through various means to move the audience, maybe to tears. Maybe he wants to get them to, to tap their toe a little bit to the song that's going on, whatever may be the case. People are encouraged sometimes to clap at the end of a performance or to, or to clap during the song to get them into the music. But is that what music is supposed to do? Uh, in addition to music being a performance, we have many who complain about the great hymns of the faith today. If a song is old, it's boring, it's dull. In fact, uh, sadly, in many of the illustration files that I've looked at and the illustration things about music, uh, people talk about the importance of changing our music because the music at most churches is, is dead and, and music needs to be like salad dressing, variety for everyone. I, I kid you not, a whole article is written on how music should be like salad dressing. <laughs> I, I, Wow, there, there's a lot of stuff being said, okay? But when we read this song, it's not dull, it's not boring. We don't even know the tune. I wish you had sung it tonight. Should have told you that we were there, you know? Because count I'm counting on you to write a good song here. You got the words already before you, Brother Doyle. Now it's... <laughs> No, you're not criticizing the translation now, are you? Okay, all right, here, I'm, boy, I'm really getting them in trouble. We're not going to go there anymore, all right? But when we read this song, we aren't impressed with the tune, with the performers, or the effect it has on the audience. Do you know why? Because we're not made to think about man here. The only one you can think about when you read this is God. That's it. You, you can't, there is nothing about the people that says, wow, look at these people. The people just walked through on dry ground. That's all they did. Everything else is about God. It is absolutely positively about God. It's God-centered. Look in the first verse. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song before everyone so they'd all see what a great song it is. Okay. Who was the song done to? To the Lord. So the music wasn't about giving people a great feeling. It's God-centered. Twice we are told that. Look at what it says. And they spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gratefully. Its focus was not on a feeling or an experience of the listener, but in honoring the God of heaven. Now, we know in the New Testament that God honoring music. I said I was going to say something about it because there is a lot of good things. 
God-honoring music is to teach and admonish. So there is an effect it's supposed to have upon you, but it has nothing to do with feeling or tapping your, your toe or, being, uh, or leaving and saying, wow, that was a great tune. I can't, I can't get it out of my head. The purpose of music in the New Testament, at least the instruction we have, is to instruct us about God. And that's what this song does powerfully in a wonderful way. This song is not directed to a crowd, but to God who brought the victory. And since this passage is primarily about a song, I thought, okay, look, I'm going to go to some illustrations about music, and I type music in the search line. And and I got to tell you, I was extremely discouraged and disturbed because many of the articles in this illustration file were were about new, what new, new evangelicals have done with music and that worship has gone from praising God to impressing people. Let me give you one example, and I just wanted to share this with you because it just was like, whoa, okay. A popular new evangelical speaker said this. Barry Posner did some research that revealed an interesting result of quality. People were six times, this is profound, six times as likely to talk about a business that they considered a five on a scale of one to five than they were to talk about a business that they rate as a four. So he said, his conclusion was, this is the power of wow. There is a reason Jesus taught us to shock people with above and beyond. I'm still trying to figure that one out exactly. Um, Or, well, here's where he gets it from, second mile service. This is his, uh, his point. It's in the second mile that we get people's attention. It's in the second mile that people pay attention. It's in the second mile that people ask, what does this guy have that I don't? All the results come in the second mile. I don't know where we find that in the Bible. I do know Christ said to, to walk with him twain if he says to walk one. But I don't know where the guy is going to be impressed in the second mile and not in the first. Anyway, he went on to say, this is where people say, Wow! And he illustrated the point. He said, churches ought adopt the goal of causing people to say, wow. We ought to do our advertising, our outreach, our preaching, our music, our childcare, our everything to make them say, wow. <laughs> we ought to, uh, okay, so the goal of Christian ministry is nothing less than to drop open jaws and hear people say, wow, that's how Jesus ministered. I, uh, okay, I, I see, I just want to go off on that. I want to preach on this the whole time. All right, then he said, the people saw Jesus and they said, wow. And, and I wrote in my notes, all I can say about that is, wow. If, look, look, here's the truth. Okay, if that is their mentality, then, then think it through. Rock music in the church makes sense. Coffee shops make sense pyrotechnical lights and sounds and, 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 and things that blow out smoke and music performances which last 45 to 50 minutes followed by a 10 to 15 minute sermonette makes sense. It really does. Because your goal is people saying, wow, what a great time I had today. But, but people... That's not what church is about. It's not about second mile service so that people say, wow. It is about worshiping God. 
It has nothing do, to do with lost people coming in here and saying, wow! Now, that doesn't mean that our music shouldn't be done right. It doesn't mean that music or, or what we do shouldn't touch people's hearts. But what our music is to be about and what our service to be, is to be about is that people, if they say anything, it's not, wow, it's God is an amazing God. And that people's hearts are lifted up to think great of him. We serve a great God. It wasn't a great performance today. And that's what it's supposed to be about. So music isn't about impressing people. It's not about, and, and get this, it's strange. It's not even about touching people. It's not. It will because music has a powerful way of getting hold of, truthfully, the heart and touching it. If you read this and you think about this message, your heart is touched even though you don't know the tune. It's got to be because this is, this is powerful. This is, this is deep stuff. It really is about God. And so uh, I go back and I say again, the direction of the song is Godward. It is not about man. It's not about man's, ex his, it is about his experience, but it's his, his experience about how great God is. And you come away saying, God's great, not wow. I guess in a sense you could say you come away saying, wow, but that is only in the sense that you think, wow, God. So that's all I'm going to do in that matter. And let's move on. It's, that's that's a, a powerful message. And it, it, by the way, tells you one of the reasons why we do what we do with our music here. Um, because the focus to me is supposed to be on the words and on the message and not on some feeling or experience that we get because we did this. The details of the song. The details of the song. Then saying, Moses and the children of Israel, this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord. It is very personal. Verses 1 and 2, we have I will a few times. But what's interesting, it's not about them. And you, if you look at this I will, it's not about here's, I'm, here's what I'm going to do and here's what I'm going to do. No, it's all about I am going to sing to the Lord. I am going to thank the Lord. I am going to praise the Lord. I will. And, and it, it is all, it's, again, it is, it is not manward. It's not about here's what I'm going to do in, the, in that sense, but it's about here's what I'm going to do in regard to God. I will prepare him in habitation. I will exalt him. I am going to lift him up. And so where is the focus of attention? It's not look at what I'm going to do, but it's this is what I'm going to do. And it's all about God. It is very personal. Here's how I'm going to relate to God. And do you know that the rest of this, in the rest of this song, it's just verses one and two, you won't see I will again until you see them talk about the Egyptians who said, I will go in and I will, I will get spoil and I will win a victory against these people. And they said, I will. And God said, you won't. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. I knew someone would do that. All right. So it is very, it is very personal. It came, it came from what God has done in their life, what they learned about God, but it was about God, and it wasn't about them. 
it is full of praise. And that's actually verses 1 to 19. It's full of praise from start to finish. This song is packed with praise. It praises God for what he's done. It praises God for who he is and more for who he is than anything else. The focus of praise is not this is what God did for me, but this is who God is. And I saw that when I walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. And I saw that when I saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore the next day. And I saw that when the waters came down, when they stood up for me. But when they came crashing down on the army. Um, and so, you know, it, it's just, it, it really is, it's, it's like, isn't he wonderful? That's all you can get from this song. You cannot get what a great performance this is. It's what a great God we serve. He's a big God. It's full of praise. Now, we're not going to take time to get into this point because we're going to get back to it later, and you're going to help me with that, I hope. There are so many praiseworthy points. And just look at verse 1. He said, I will sing unto the Lord right in the middle of the verse, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. Doctrine after doctrine, it is full of praise. There are so many praiseworthy points about God here. You can't miss it. I mean, you can't come away from the song saying, wow, I wonder if God's great. Right, just the first two verses, you can't, you, you come and say, whoa, wow. There you go. God is great. Um, verses 3 to 13, it's powerful. And, by the, and, and I do say that if you do come away saying, wow, at the end of the song, it's because, because of this. You have been challenged to think about God. And you come away saying, there is no one like him. No one like him. Who could do this? Who could do any of this? It is a powerful passage. It has uh, okay, heavy truth about who God is and what God can do. And if you can read this song and go on your way without being amazed at God, you've got to be either blind or just, just reading to read. Because th this, is, this is just full of the, the awesome power of God evidenced in one event that happened with the children of Israel. Let me also say, fourthly, it is positive. It's a very positive song. Um, in verse 13, thou in thy mercy hast led forth the people which thou hast redeemed. It speaks of faithfulness. It speaks of how God has been merciful to them, how faithful God has been. And then it expresses what they believe this wonderful work of God will do to the nations in Canaan. In the verses that follow, Notice what he says. Okay, it's in mercy you've led forth thy people. You've guided them you've, whom you've redeemed. You've guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. The people shall hear and shall be afraid. Who's that? They're enemies. Okay, the people in Canaan. When they got to the promised land, that's what they're talking about here in these verses. So it speaks of the faithfulness of God. It contemplates the greatness of God and expresses confidence that this one act, the Red Sea parting, 
will impact multitudes of people because of his awesome power revealed at the parting of the sea and the utter destruction of Pharaoh. It speaks not only of faithfulness in this positive message, but it speaks of fear, verses 14 to 16. Now you say, how can something that speaks of fear be positive? Because it's the fear of other people and not the fear of God's people. In verse 14, the people shall hear and be afraid. Sorrow shall take hold on the inhabitants of Palestine. Then the dukes of Edom shall be amazed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, shall take hold upon them. All the inhabitants of Canaan, they're going to melt away. Fear and dread will fall upon them. By the greatness of thine arm, they shall be as still as a stone till thy people pass over. So, you know, it, it, it's about, it's an encouraging message. And it's an encouraging message about fear, that God will put a fear within the heart of other people. And, and you know, we are, we are told that very fact when the spies were with Rahab and Rahab said, we are terrified. All the people here are terrified about, about what God, has, God did with, with the Egyptians. And, and let me just remind you, that was 40 years before because they didn't enter the promised land for 40 years. They were in the wilderness, okay? So 40 years later, the people were still talking about Egypt. 40 years later, they were still quaking in their boots about what God did and what they expected God to do. So it is a positive message of faithfulness, of fear, fear, and then it speaks of faith. Verse 17, Thou shalt bring them in and plant them in the mountain of thine inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which thou hast made for thee to dwell in, in the sanctuary, O Lord, which thy hands have established. You know, they already pictured, this is an amazing thing, they already pictured this sanctuary, this place that God has established, that God has made. All right, where was that? It was in Canaan. At least that's the picture that they're trying to draw here. Okay, so in their mind's eye, it's a picture of faith. Where were they in this song in verse 17? Okay, they're in the desert, yes. But as far as the song is concerned, where are they? They're in Canaan. They're in the promised land. Thou shalt bring them in and plant them in the mountain of thine inheritance in the place, O Lord, which thou hast made for thee to dwell in. Already. Done deal. Wait. We just got out. We haven't, even, we haven't even taken the first <laughs> the first day's journey yet to get there. We're already there. This, this really is it's a positive, it's a wonderfully positive song. It's looking and it's saying, okay, here's what God just did, and we're going to be in the land of Canaan to worship the Lord just as he said. You know, and that to me makes verses 22 to 20, uh, 26 or 26 or 27 so disappointing because it was just three days later, you know? Come on, at least more than three days, you know? But this is a song that's really, it's positive, of faithfulness, of fear, of faith. The victory was still years away. By the way, it should have only been weeks away. But the people saying of what would happen is as if it was already a reality. Do you, do you get that idea? Do you get that picture here? Do you understand what, what's going on? 
such a great encouragement of God's promises because God's promises always come to pass. Now, fifthly, and this is something else that's interesting, look at verse 18. Because it goes beyond Canaan to where? Okay, so if we're using the, the letter P, what, what are we going to say? It's prophetic. Thank you very much. I knew someone would get the point. It's prophetic. It really is. This song, they remind believers that God will someday rule and reign. So, so get this picture. They've just come through and God worked miraculously, so they write a song, and the song is all about God. It's about what God has done. It's also about what God will do. And it also looks forward in faith to something that hasn't yet even happened. Technically, it's just not a done deal yet. For the Lord hasn't set up his kingdom and will rule and reign forever and ever. But that is all brought in in this one song. Uh, that it is an amazing thing. Um, and then it is, it is yeah, I say, you got to kind of end with a, a down, right? It's plain. The beginning of the song tells us what God did, verse 1. In verse 4, it tells us what God did. In verses 8 through 10, it tells us what God did. And guess what it does in verse 19? It tells us what God did. You can't get away from the fact God parted the sea, God destroyed the Egyptians. God parted the sea, God destroyed the Egyptians. And that is all why they praise God. That's why all they, they gave their prophetic statement about the fact he will reign. They gave their statement about the fact that he will fulfill his promises. And all that came just because of a very straightforward, simple event that just said, God is big. He's great. And um, what a, wow, wow. Um, the description in the song, letter C, the description in the song. Now, we have to start back in verse 1, and we have to go all the way through verse 19 for this. But I actually had the word, because, you know, alliterators love to do this. I had also the word doctrine, and that would be just as fitting. The doctrine in the song or the description in the song. Because this song, in the song, Moses and the people tell us about God. The preacher in the opening illustration challenged a young man to contemplate a God, a God of heaven and earth, the creator God, the God that was bigger than the one he described, who he wasn't ready to believe in, didn't want to believe in, and whom the preacher didn't want to believe in either. It's striking how grand this song makes God. And it's no wonder. I mean, it's not every day that you walk through a sea on dry ground. It's not every day that your enemy is absolutely, totally destroyed in one fell swoop by the breath of God. And so it's no wonder that that happens. But I want you to help me make a list, would you? Now, I'm, I'll, give you, I'll give you my list. You, see, you have to take my list because that's what I have in, in the outline. And I'll give you those things. But I want you to walk with, it, walk with me through this. 
And why don't you just start sharing with me some of the, the wonderful attributes, the glorious qualities of God. And this is why I say this chapter is wow, but not wow, look at how impressed I am. But this is wow, God is amazing. So help me out. It's just us here, all right? Give me some things. Okay, God can pile up water. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? Okay, very true. At least he talks about that, how it went up. as It was congealed almost. That must have been really, really a sight to see. Um, yeah, I still, still wonder what was going on and whether the people that were real close were just kind of like, don't stick your finger in too deep. Okay, uh, holding the water back, Mom. Look at me. Get a big, get a selfie of this one. Okay. I, I guess they didn't have selfies. <laughs> All right. Oh, wow, we're getting carried away. All right, so we, we, that's one thing. Let's not go any further with that. Um, so, come on, come on, there's a, there's a long list here. He's strong. That's simple enough. Great strength. He's a salvation. Excellent. He's a warrior. Wow, you don't hear that brought out today or preached on all that much. He is. He's God of war. God of judgment, too, I guess we would say. Come on. There's, there's plenty to chew on here. He's their shield. He was their protection. Very true. What is his what? His excellency, God's excellency. Talk about that a little bit. He's holy. All right, very good, excellent. Glorious in holiness. Wow. Merciful. Very, very true. Because what? He controls nature. That's why you know, if you read this chapter, you're not awed about God. There's, there's really, it's almost, there's, there's something wrong. Because, I mean, you just can't, you can hardly read a verse in this entire song without, there's a long list. Anyone else? He's powerful. He's powerful. All right, let me, let, now it's time for my list. Actually, I'm just going to walk through it with you. And, um, and we'll just probably get the first three or four, and then, then I'll continue my list next week. Oh, no, wait, wait, wait. I'll continue my list next time I have opportunity to preach on these guys. All right. First, um, I have down the glorious majesty of God. Verse 1. I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. That really is an interesting statement. It said, the horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. When I write the glorious majesty, the wording here gives us a vivid picture 
of a mighty warrior who is well aware that a mighty army is approaching his people. So all by himself, if you would, with his own ability, with his own power, he puts on his army armor, he gets on his horse, he mounts up, and he rides forth to battle himself. And he's just wipes out the army by himself. And he rides back as if nothing happened. He comes, he comes riding in on his horse, this awesome guy that has just won a victory. And what are the people going to do? If they did absolutely nothing, they saw the army coming, and this guy by himself mounts up and goes and destroys the army. What do you think the crowd's going to do when he comes in? you? That's the idea. He's triumphed gloriously. He's coming in. He's riding in now. Look at what he has just done. What an amazing sight. No one's ever seen anything like this. The glorious majesty of God. And, uh, and, and quite honestly, that would be a great, that'd be a great entire song itself the glorious majesty of God. And he, as he enters the gates of the city, the people gaze in awe at the mighty conquering one. Uh, it, it, yeah, wow, okay. Then verse two. I mean, it, it, can it get any better? <coughs> the, <coughs> the Lord is my strength, the strength of God, the glorious majesty. <coughs> I'm sorry, the glorious majesty. <coughs> Could you please? <coughs> wow. Lord, help with this. The strength of God. People don't just sing of God's strength, but they say the Lord is what? Yeah, help me out here. <clears throat> okay, my strength and song, but the Lord is, okay, but before strength, what's the word? Mine. Okay, it's, it's then we go get back to the personal nature of this. <clears throat> he is my strength. And thus, this is the idea, it seems like, he's become my song. I mean, how could I not sing? You know, here's, this, here's this guy, excuse me, who has just triumphed gloriously. He's coming back on his trusty steed, this mighty warrior that's totally wiped out the army. What else can I do but write a song? Because he is my strength. I was totally helpless. I was on that side of the sea. I'm now on this side of the sea. I didn't get there on my own. He did it. And not only that, but I couldn't win against this army. I had been a slave there for 430 years. For 400 years, for 30 years or so, it wasn't that way. For 400 years, I've been a slave under the control of this pharaoh. Not anymore. He is my strength. I didn't have strength. And by the way, when we, when we come through the wilderness of life, when we come through the difficulties of life, we just need to always be reminded 
We didn't do it by our strength. Well, I was really, I just really was smart, and I, I, I dealt with this in the right way. And what we need to remember, what this song reminds us of, is if, if you got through the wilderness, if you got through the, the water, if you got through the storm, if you got through the difficulty, it wasn't because you had strength. It was because God was your strength. And, and that is an important thing, the strength of God. They couldn't sing about this one, or how could they not sing about this one who took a feeble, weak people, I wrote, and carried them through an impossible situation, and then defeated the enemy. Completely helpless, feeble, but he wasn't, the strength of God. And then in verse 2, uh, his strength, which again led to his song, and then he has become, okay, he was the way of salvation. There was no way, way of salvation other than him. Well, isn't that a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ later to come? I wonder if Jesus, when he talked with the men on the road to Emmaus, opened up this passage and said, you know, like God was the salvation of the children of Israel and bringing them through, so the plan was for me to come and be your salvation. Not, and he has become my salvation. So they said, look, that's what he's become to us. He is. God is our salvation now. And by the way, a Christian can say that. Not in that God brought us through the Red Sea, but that God brought us through the valley of the shadow. Well, he will, okay? But he brought us through the death sentence that we had that was upon us, the wrath of God that is no longer there. There's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. So um, the salvation of God, the glorious majesty of God, the strength of God, the salvation of God, and then we see the almighty God. Um, he is my God. And this seems to be more of the emphasis, not on a, a characteristic, but a name here, a title for, for God, the almighty God. And it's interesting, it's just L. It's only a part of what was used as the title for God. L, a name describing God's might. It's the almighty God. So th they say, uh, he has become, he's become my salvation. He got me through. I couldn't get through myself. I was history. I mean, I was on the other side and it was all over. The, 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 the writing was on the wall. It is done. And God parted the water and I walked on dry ground and I'm looking back now and the enemy is dead. Not going to see him again. He's my salvation. I, I, can't, I can't pat myself on the back with this one. And he is my God. He's the Almighty One. Who, who else could do that? Hey, look, look. A lot of times you talk about someone doing something amazing for you. Probably there's like a, a, a hundred thousand people who could do an amazing thing for you. You know, like uh, someone someone took care of this trip for us, so we were able to go and and visit family. We couldn't afford it, and someone just paid the, the way. Well, the truth is, there's probably like a million people in this world that could pay the way for your trip. But when they looked at this situation, they said, he's God. He's the almighty one. There's just no one that's that powerful. But who could do that? Whoever heard about that? Who ever heard about water parting and ground drying out? I mean, how long does it take for puddles to dry out? And we're talking about a sea that has been there for years and years and years and years and years. Muck 
built up for a long time, I would think. Dry ground. Dust. <laughs> Million and a half people walking through the same place, dry ground. It's just, you know, it's amazing, amazing thing. There wasn't grass. Grass. I really don't believe there was grass there. Okay. Talking about the bottom of the sea. They said, who can do that? Who can? Mighty. An almighty God. So he is God. Um, then I have the glory of God. And still, I'm, I, I'm getting hung up in verses 1 and 2, all right? But um, I will prepare him in habitation, my Father's God, and I will exalt him, the glory of God. This is an interesting statement. I will prepare him a habitation. That is an interesting phrase to say the least. Do you know there's a lot of discussion about what it means, and we don't have time to get into it. Some suggest Moses is speaking of building the tabernacle, but that seems bizarre. It really seems totally out of, out of, it doesn't even make sense at this point in the song. Why would he even talk about a tabernacle? Because God hadn't even talked to him about a tabernacle down the road. Maybe he saw something and, and God did that, but you know, this is one of those, you know, little phrases in the song where you say, hmm, that doesn't make a lot of sense if you view it the way some writers do. Uh, now, that isn't out of the realm of possibility, but it seems rather that they're singing that they're going to magnify him. They're going to lift him up. They're going to make him glorious in the eyes and ears of those who hear this song. I'm going to prepare him habitation. I'm going to, I'm going to make a, a glorious place for God so that when people, when people, if you would, talk about us, they're going to be thinking about this great God because we're building him up and we're making a special place for him. It's almost like, you know, we got our trophy room and a trophy room, there's just one trophy, God. Uh, that's probably, that, that wasn't, that's an irreverent way to put it. But it's just, we don't want to talk about any other accomplishment here. We just want you to see him. This, that's why we're preparing this tabernacle for him, the glory of God. We just want you to see how glorious and wonderful he is. And uh, we're going to pick up on number six. I almost got halfway through that, right? Pick up on number six the next time we have opportunity. And uh, and sorry, but we're still in verse two. Um, do you, do you uh, look, we, we've got a great, big, wonderful God. Great, big, wonderful God. Um, God who's always victorious, always watching over us, a great, big, wonderful God. He is. And... Um, never leaves us, never forsakes us, one who can do things far greater than we could ever imagine. He's a big God, people. Don't make him small. Don't make him small. And you got to come away with these first 21 verses saying, that's the kind of God I serve. And uh, may it encourage us to trust him. Thank you, Lord, for your word, and thank you for this uh, grand picture of God that we are given to encourage us and uh, to remind us there's nothing too big for God. If people can walk through a sea on dry ground, if an army can be destroyed in an instant through the, just the breath of God, then may we never doubt your ability to deal with any problem or difficulty that comes in life. May we trust you and may we lift you up before people as the grand, glorious, great God of heaven and earth. And Father, um, 
may, may we live and act as if you are a great God this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Hope you'll serve that great God. You 